This is the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, where you'll hear about many aspects of law in England and Wales with special guests, industry experts, and local charities. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Hello and welcome to Season 3 of The Legal Lounge. If you haven't heard the shows in the first and second seasons, there's plenty of content worth a listen, with conversations and advice about divorce, injury claims and business partnerships. There are also some excellent episodes where you'll hear from local charities and learn about the amazing work they do. You can listen to these shows on your podcast app or by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. In this episode, residential property solicitors Cassie Chidlow and Emma Cousins discuss the common questions they're asked by people looking to purchase a property, along with the steps taken during the course of the transaction. Hi, I'm Cassie and I'm here today with Emma from our residential property team and we're here to discuss what clients want to know in terms of a purchase transaction. The first question we get to ask is how long will the process take? The process generally takes about eight to ten weeks but this will be dependent on the chain. Following that clients will then tend to ask how much is it going to cost me? At Lanyon Bowdler, um, we charged fixed fees subject to how much the property price is and we can discuss that in full, but it does vary from property to property. Do I still have to pay if it falls through as well? Some firms will do a no sale, no fee, um, but generally you will get charged for the stage of the transaction at which it reaches. Um, But again, this would be something we would discuss, but you would only get charged for the work carried out. We also tend to get asked whether or not you can claim the cost back from the seller if it falls through. Unfortunately, the answer to that one is a no. Um, You can always try it through the estate agents, but nine times out of 10, unfortunately, you just have to meet the costs. And also what would happen if I'd arranged any surveys or searches Would I have to pay for those as well or what would the situation be? Again, you'd have to pay for those, unfortunately. They class as disbursements um, and those fees are paid to third parties so it's not something that can be recovered. However, with searches, you can offer to sell them on to someone else uh, if someone else was to purchase the property. So in terms of um, surveyors, we do often also get asked if we can recommend surveyors. Would that be something that we do? We tend to recommend um, a few surveyors. We won't give one specifically, but we can definitely point you in the right direction of surveyors. Here at Lanyard Bowdler, we do have contacts with quite a few local surveyors that we do recommend on a regular basis. So they would also be able to help and sort of process things quite quickly. Um, In terms of mortgage brokers, we do find that clients um, will have already arranged for their mortgage broker, sometimes via the agent. But again, we can recommend some of these if required, but it, it very much depends. And like I say, most people have already arranged that direct before they get to us. We regularly get asked as part of our anti-money laundering rules, what needs to be provided and how long statements need to be and what they need to show. With general ID, we need to be able to prove that you are who you say you are and we need your proof of name and also proof of address. With the property purchase, we also tend to need proof of funds to show that you have accumulated your funds using the correct manner and you haven't, for example, robbed a bank. That's correct. Quite often we do get asked how long do these bank statements need to be for Um, and we would need generally as a rule of thumb the last three months bank statements for the account in which the monies will be sent from and we'll also require additional accounts if there's been any large sums of money transferred recently. Um, So again we would then need the three months bank statements for that account also. In terms of the ID, generally speaking we would prefer a passport as photo ID and a driving license. 
Um, we do find that some clients may not have a current driving license or a passport. So in that instance, we do ask for further address ID by way of a utility bill or a bank statement. Some clients do get concerned in terms of the safety of these documents, but they are kept securely and they are only used for our purposes in accordance with the regulatory requirements. Nowadays, you'll tend to find that house prices are a bit through the roof. Pardon the pun. (laughs) Um, And it is a a struggle, especially for younger people, to be able to form their deposit um, at a young age and we get a lot of questions about all oh, what happens if our parents are lending us the money that is something that is possible um, it's not a, a bar to buying your house uh, if there is a gift involved we do have to notify your lender and they will have to confirm their approval of the same but usually there tends to be no issue and again for proof of funds and id they'll be needed for the parents or whoever is lending you the money And we do often get this quite regularly and it's not something that's out of the ordinary. Um, Some lenders will, at the point of your application, request the proof of funds and ID um, for their purposes. But we will also need that for our regulatory purposes. Um, Again, we do require ID, address ID and photo ID, along with the three months bank statements. That's kind of all the uh, nitty gritty parts of opening a file. Um, So from there, we will get a contract pack from the seller's solicitor. Um, And at that point is when we start to investigate the title. Uh, And at this point, it enables us to ask any questions we see fit from the contract pack. And also, if you yourself have any questions at this point, they can be raised with the other side. We generally find that once we've raised inquiries, um, it can take a few weeks to get responses. Um, it very much depends on the other side solicitor's um, timescales for turnaround. Um, but usually you can expect some kind of response within, I would say, usually generally two weeks. Um, and we would update you in terms of what the replies were. And there is chance to go back on those replies and ask any more that you may have all the way up to the point of exchange. One thing to bear in mind is once the exchange of contract has happened, which we'll go through later, you might be wondering what I'm talking about, um, but once that has happened, um, there isn't a point to raise any more inquiries because the seller would be under no obligation to respond to them. So it is very important that all inquiries are raised before the exchange of contracts and likewise to ensure your survey is done before the exchange. Alongside surveys, nine times out of 10, a property purchase will involve searches being ordered. If you're having a mortgage, you will always need the local search, enviro search and a drainage and water search ordering. Uh, However, if you're not having a mortgage, you can pick and choose as to which surveys you would like to include. Uh, One thing we always get asked, especially by those that don't understand the need for the searches, is why do we actually need them? In terms of the searches, the lender will require that we carry out what they call as due diligence to make sure that the property is adequate security for the money you're borrowing from them essentially. So we do have to request the full set of searches which is usually the local, the environmental and the water and drainage. Subject to the area of the property there would potentially be additional searches we would carry out for example if you're in Shrewsbury obviously the river is an issue every year Um, so we would carry out a flood search Um, For example, if you were in Dudley, we we knew we would carry out a mining search. So it would be basically whatever additional searches the lender would need. And generally, those searches need to be dated within the last six months. So 
if for any reason your transaction went on for a long period of time, we would unfortunately then have to request a second set of searches. However, this is quite unlikely. And there is also indemnity policies you can carry out as well to validate those searches in sort of urgent circumstances. So in terms of the searches, Emma, would you like to discuss what you could generally expect to find in the local search? So a local search um, reveals a lot of things. Uh, The main points it tends to uncover is whether there is planning permission for the property, any building regulations, any completion certificates. Also, if your building is a listed building, there may be instances where work carried out requires listed building consents, and they'll be revealed in that search, alongside whether the road outside your property is adopted or not. In terms of the environmental search, um, that speaks for itself really. It will basically confirm whether or not the land the property is situated on is contaminated. Usually we find, generally speaking, it isn't, um, but this is something we have to check both to protect yourselves and the lender. As well as contaminated land, the search will also detail further information in respect of potential flood risk along with ground instability, radon and any other influential factors such as if the property is in an area of natural beauty or if there's any overhead power lines and other such matters. In terms of the water and drainage, Emma, what can we expect to see in there? So we can expect that that will show you any public sewers that may cross over the property alongside whether there is any actually main supply of water to the property. Again, nine times out of ten, there is. uh, It will also show you if there are any public sewers within the boundary. And if there are, this may trigger us to ask the seller solicitor if there is a build-over agreement available. If a building has been erected within three metres of the pipe or the sewers, it is normally a requirement that you have the water company's consent. Um, If there hasn't been a build-over agreement, then we do need to look to other ways to cover that risk, such as an indemnity policy. So in terms of the searches, when would you need to report these to a lender? Do you need to report these to a lender or are they simply for my information? Well, they will be for your information as well. But if there is anything that is key and is a risk to the security of the property and the investment of the lender, we do have to report it to them. For example, if there is an extremely high risk of flooding and it floods quite regularly, we will have to report that to the lender as obviously the house is at risk each time it floods. The majority of people will be using a mortgage to purchase their property, um, which means we have to act for the lender, providing that we are on their panel of solicitors. Um, And here at Langley Bowdler, we do tend to be on most mortgage providers panel. Um, So common questions we'll get asked from this is, one, will you deal with our mortgage? And two, what do you do and what do you have to report to the lender? And also, what do you report to us about the mortgage? As you said, Emma, so in terms of the mortgage offer, um, you're correct in saying that we will act for both the buyer and obviously the lender as well. So we won't only be acting in your best interest as the buyer of the property, but again, we also have to ensure that the property is good security for the lender. So we will be acting on their behalf also. In respect of the mortgage offer, once it arrives, we'll check this through on your behalf, ensuring all of the details are correct in terms of the interest rates, any special conditions that may be included in the offer, and we would report to you fully in terms of the mortgage offer. In terms of anything which we may need to report to the lender, again, this would depend on the individual circumstances. However, as discussed earlier on, if there was any sort of 
material matters we would need to refer to them such as flood risks or lack of completion certificate for example if someone had a extension built and failed to obtain the completion certificate from the council this would obviously be a building regulation issue with the council Um, so for some lenders we may need to report this to them but then other lenders we may be able to obtain an indemnity policy um, but we'll go into those in a little bit more detail later on as i've said each lender does have very different requirements however we are familiar with what those requirements are and we also have access to their latest guidance Um, before we did report any matters to the lender we would of course make you aware of those matters so if it's reported to the lender um, and they decide that they actually don't agree with any indemnity policies offered or if they're not happy with the security of the property what happens then can they pull the mortgage offers good very good question so in terms of reporting matters to the lender if there was something that we reported to you um, which you were content to proceed with for example if there'd been an extension at the property that lacked the necessary sign-off you may be content with this but it might be that you don't want us to report this to the lender but we would need to do so um, and if they decided that they weren't satisfied we would obviously need to withdraw acting and we wouldn't be able to proceed any further. This does not happen very often however it is something to bear in mind. If there was something you refused to allow us to report to a lender and we would have to cease acting for you because that would be a conflict between the interests of yourself as the buyer and the interests of the lender. So once the mortgage is dealt with, um, we'll be at the point where we need to look at how the clients wish to hold the property. Some people will decide they want to hold it 50-50, this is called tenants in common, or some will hold it jointly, um, which is appropriately named joint tenants. But there is instances where there will be unequal contributions. Um, And at this point, a lot of the time, people will want to protect their investment in the property if they are unequal contributions. And they can do this by way of a declaration of trust. We do often get clients contributing different amounts to the property. And at the time they purchase the property, no one ever hopes anything will go wrong. But you never know what could happen later down the line in terms of disputes over how any future net proceeds of sale are to be split especially if there's a case of separation, marriage or relationship breakdown. The best way to deal with this would be by way of a declaration of trust. And this would basically confirm that you would both hold the property on trust in relation to the terms of that declaration. Broadly speaking, there is either a fixed shares declaration of trust, which is what it says it is on the tin. You would say, for example, 40% and 60% and you would set out those shares and they would not alter during the ownership of the property and you would therefore get out that same percentage on any resale that you've put in at the start of the transaction. We can also prepare what's called a floating shares declaration which does have a greater deal of need to record keep. So for example It would detail what you've put in as an initial contribution, but it would then also set out who was going to pay the mortgage. Um, Do you want to take into account any improvements that you may make in the future towards the property? And you would both need to keep a detailed record of any contributions you've made so that later down the line, if the sale proceeds were to be split, you could evidence who had paid what, and then you would get your respective shares from the property. We do charge additional fees for preparing this declaration of trust, and it would be registered on the property as an interest, which would prevent any sale or transfer of the property without 
one of you being notified and you would also both have to consent to the disposition, so the sale of the property um, and confirm it complies with the declaration of trust before any sale can proceed. So it does tend to protect both parties and can definitely be a big help later down the line if there are any issues. But obviously we hope that doesn't happen, but you've got to protect yourselves just in case. So in respect of the declaration of trust, um, Emma previously mentioned that you can hold the property as joint tenants, which is what we tend to find the majority of clients do if they are contributing equally. Could you just explain Emma a little bit more exactly what that is? Yeah, so joint tenancies, as it says on the tin, you hold the property jointly. um, And in a nutshell, what it means is that if one of you was to sadly pass away, the property would automatically pass to the other person named on the title. Whereas with tenants in common, it's slightly different. Whilst you own the property together, you own it as an equal 50-50 split. And it would be down to you to ensure that your will deals with the property upon your passing and who it would pass to. And this applies for the declaration of trust. It's also very important to ensure that you have a will set out just so that if one of you were to pass away during the period of ownership of the property, your portion share in the property could then be distributed in accordance with the terms of your will. Um, As residential property lawyers, we we don't like to dabble in drafting wills. Um, So we would refer you to our wills and probate department and they can give you all of the necessary advice in terms of that. So we won't go into any detail on wills today. So once inquiries are dealt with and we've had your mortgage offer, we've dealt with how you're gonna hold the property and we've reviewed all the searches that we've ordered on your behalf, We will then report to you um, about everything to do with the property. This gives you a chance to look over a nice, neat summary of your property that you'll be buying and also gives you one last chance to raise any questions you might have before we proceed to exchange. What would I expect to see within that report? And am I going to understand it? Will there be lots of legal jargon? But what our report aims to do is to break it down so it is an easy read and it will simply summarise all of the documents that we will provide to yourselves and also put any kind of legal jargon words in layman's terms so for example the report will detail any rights of way over the property any access rights you have also any rights that are reserved to other properties it will also include any covenants on the property which could include for example if you are buying a new build There might be a covenant on the property that says you can't build, extend or alter the front of the property in any way for, for example, five years. Um, And we just aim to make it easier for you to understand so you can clearly know what you're purchasing with the property before you exchange. So in terms of the report, if there was something within that report that I wasn't really expecting, would I expect to have had notice of that prior to this report coming out or... Would you tell me sort of last minute and can I raise any more inquiries off the back of that title report? Yes, you can. At this point, we have an exchange, so you can still raise inquiries. In terms of if there's anything you weren't aware of, we do tend to try and ensure that anything big, for for example, that comes up in the process, we advise the clients off straight away, especially if we do think it's going to be detrimental to the purchase of that property. So in terms of that report, at that stage, we would also send out the main documents which a buyer would need to sign, which are a contract, a transfer deed, a stamp duty form, 
and we would also send any bill and completion statement out at this stage. In terms of the contract, that is the document that you will basically enter into a contractual agreement with the seller to purchase the property. We will send out letters to clients explaining the details of the contract, but they are relatively straightforward. So the next document is the transfer deed. So this document essentially transfers the property from the seller to you as the buyer. And this is the document that gets sent to land registry to effect that transfer. And finally, the stamp duty form. That is the form in terms of stamp duty, um, which you will sign to give your declaration in terms of your stamp duty liability, which is something we assist you with, but we'll go into that a little bit later. In terms of the signature of the documents, we often get asked who needs to sign them, when do they need to be signed. So with signing a contract, we will always ensure that we hold a signed copy of your contract prior to any exchange. Um, and as Cassie said previously, we'll send that out following a full report on the title to you. Now there always tends to be a bit of confusion sometimes with the contract. Um, if there's anyone living in the property that doesn't actually own the property. The hard rule is that if there's an occupier of the property who is over 17, then they will need to sign the contract as they technically have an interest in that property as they are living there. This contract will then have to also be signed by yourselves and there will also be a duplicate copy of the contract which is then signed by the seller and each party will hold their client's contract until exchange and at that point they'll swap. Uh, so with the transfer you need to ensure that this is witnessed as it becomes your deed and we always get a lot of questions asked about who a witness can be. So a witness can essentially be anyone, it doesn't matter whether they're in a, a specific profession or not, um, it just needs to be signed by someone who isn't a relative of yours. In terms of signature, if I do not have anyone to arrange the witness, can I bring it into the offices? Can my solicitor witness the documents or do I need to arrange this separately? At Lanyon Bowdler, we are happy for the clients to come in. Any employee at Lanyon Bowdler would be able to witness their signature, providing they've watched them sign it. In terms of signing documents, if I am not a client of the firm and I just happen to have some documents I might want witnessing one afternoon, can you sign those on our behalf also as a witness? No, unfortunately not. Um, obviously, we have to undergo an anti-money laundering checks um, on each of our clients. So if uh, Joe Bloggs off the street was to walk in, we wouldn't have done any checks on those, so we can't ensure um, that they are who they say they are and that they're buying their property in good faith. So unfortunately, the answer is no on that one. Once we've received your signed contract and transfer, there is certain steps that we will follow and we will not just go ahead and exchange without your permission. Um, I think Cassie's going to explain that one a little more. Yeah, so once we get the documents back, we will obviously hold these to your order. So we'll simply place them on the file until such time as we're ready to do the formal exchange of contracts. So you don't need to be worried that we'll just go wild one afternoon and just decide to exchange on your behalf without your consent. Um, so we would always get your consent to exchange contracts and we would even do this daily if, say, we un are unable to exchange one day we will check the next day um, believe it or not we have had clients who one afternoon will be fine and ready to proceed but then the next day they've just changed their mind so it is important that we always double check and we wouldn't just go ahead and exchange without your authority now you've probably heard me say the word exchange quite a bit there and probably wondering perhaps what i'm actually referring to so emma are you able to explain what we mean by an exchange of contracts 
The exchange is, is, is quite key in your conveyancing process is following the exchange of contracts, the purchase does become legally binding. During exchange, we will be in contact with your seller's solicitor um, and we essentially go through the contract. One common question we always get asked by clients is, do we need to be present at the point of exchange? The great news is um, we don't need you to be present to do the exchange um, because we would have arranged for you to sign the documents in advance as previously explained. So we will already be holding those signed documents on the file. Um, So all we simply would need is your authority over the phone to go ahead and we would affect that exchange on your behalf um, and let you know once that had taken place. Once exchange has occurred, we will also formally agree the completion date in the contract. And then there's a few different things that have to occur between exchange and completion. And while some can be on the same date, more often than not, there is a gap between exchange and completion. And and Cassie is just going to expand on that a little more. Yeah, so in terms of the exchange and the completion, we generally find that clients like to have a little bit of a gap, um, simply so they can sort out all of their arrangements in terms of booking time off work, removals, etc. So it is important to ensure that any date that we agree on the exchange is definitely workable for you. In terms of removals, we do advise clients to pencil in their removal date, to check the date before we exchange with their proposed removal company, just to simply check they have availability. We do, however, say not to book those removals, i.e. paying any money to the removal company, until such point as we have exchanged contracts, simply because if anything goes wrong or the date is changed or the transaction falls through, sometimes your removal company may charge you the full amount for the booking and then you'll have to pay again on the rearranged date, which obviously is not ideal and wants to be avoided. We also get some clients who will be in rented accommodation, especially if you're a first time buyer, Um, you may be in rental. So again, you may need to give notice on a rental property. If you are in rented accommodation, we always say to advise your solicitor at the start of the transaction um, in terms of your notice period, just so we can tie this in and make sure there is allowances for this as well. Again, we tend to say not to give any notice on your rental property until the point of exchange of contracts, simply because again, if anything was to go wrong um, between the exchange actually happening and you giving the notice, um, it could potentially leave you homeless or even just simply a gap between when you've got to move out of your rental property and then move into your purchase property. Um, This is not always ideal because usually there will be potentially a month's worth of notice you've got to give. Um, So it is important to let your solicitor know in advance just so that we can make sure that there is adequate provision for this gap and obviously let the seller know just so that they're not expecting an exchange and completion say within a week or two apart. Once the exchange has then taken place um, there are some steps that we have to still carry out um, as your lawyer so some people think oh that's it now we're done we'll just move on the completion day Um, but there are steps that we have to carry out so we also need to give enough time between the exchange and completion for those steps to take place. Um, So Emma, do you want to discuss what it is we do after the exchange? So the main thing we'll do after the exchange is we will request your funds from your lender. Um, And we always ask for these the day before completion just to make sure that we are ready to go on completion day to prevent any delays. Um, Obviously, if we can't get the funds in on time, that will cause a major issue as you would therefore be in breach of your contract. Ahead of the completion date as well, we also have to do what we refer to as just setting up completion. 
This means we have to just make sure that the funds are going to be in from your lenses. Once we've received the funds, we will set up your file ready for the day of completion. And this will be also ensuring that we have the funds not only for our fees, but for your stamp duty, and for also if there's any indemnity policies which need to be bought upon completion of the property, for example, if there are any missing building regulations. We did earlier briefly touch on indemnity policies, and as Emma said, um, an indemnity policy basically will cover any potential defects with the property. Um, so if, for example, someone has had a boiler replaced without a certificate, we would need to get an indemnity policy. That policy would protect both you as the buyer and also your lender um, against any possible enforcement action due to the lack of the consent. And generally, most lenders will accept indemnity policies for defects in title but it's important to remember with an indemnity policy it's only really a sticking plaster it doesn't really solve the issue Um, however it does allow you to proceed with the transaction and satisfies the lender's requirements to allow us to get to the exchange and the completion just wanted to ask a question there emma earlier you mentioned stamp duty would be included on the completion statement do I have to pay stamp duty um, as a first-time buyer or what stamp, when would stamp duty be payable? So as a first-time buyer, you will not have to pay stamp duty as long as your property is £300,000 or less. If it is above that price, then unfortunately, you will have to pay some stamp duty on that. If you have previously bought a property, unfortunately, you will be liable for stamp duty. Obviously, if you are selling and purchasing at the same time, you will just have to pay a standard rate if the property is over £125,000. However, if you already own a property and you are purchasing a second one, unfortunately, you will be subject to a higher rate. The government provide a very handy calculator which enables us to double-check any figures um, and to check that the calculations for stamp duty is all correct. And again, we will provide you with the stamp duty figure prior to completion. So if you have any queries or you think it's not quite right, you can raise that before we complete, as stamp duty is payable upon completion. We also get clients asking us, um, in terms of their stamp duty liability, whether if they're, for example, a married couple, if they purchase the property in one of their names because the other has a property already registered in their name, do they still have to pay stamp duty? Um, The answer to that question is unfortunately yes. Um, Married couples are treated as if you were one person for stamp duty purposes. So therefore, if one of you has a property, that will be considered as both of you already owning a property. Um, Stamp duty rules are very complex and there just wouldn't be enough time in this today to go through that. So maybe we could perhaps do another one in the future. Um, But like Emma said, the government website is a really handy tool. Um, Anyone can have access to that. So if you were unsure of your stamp duty liability before putting an offer in on a property, you can always go onto the website and just check. Clients will always tend to wonder what will actually happen on completion day. Um, once exchange has taken place um, and we always do tend to get asked the day before what will actually happen tomorrow is there any big changeover uh, unfortunately a lot of the work for completion is done behind scenes um, and you will literally just pick up your keys once you're told to do so by your solicitor 
So on the day of completion, specifically when purchasing a property, we'll always aim to send out your funds first thing in the morning. Uh, here at Lanyon Bowdler, we have a great accounts team that do just that. Um, and then we try and make sure the purchase is all done nice and early on the day so that you have plenty of time to move yourself in. Uh, unfortunately, it can take longer depending on the chain and the availability of the keys. Uh, the contract will always include a little caveat that has a time in which you tend to find the person selling has to be out of the property. But again, this can be dependent on the removals and how quickly they actually get out. In terms of the completion day, um, what would happen if for some reason the seller refused to move out of the property? Does that ever happen? It's a rare instance. Um, it's not happened in my time. I don't think it's happened in Cassie's. No. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> um, but no, it would be a bit of a logistical nightmare. Um, but obviously at this point, with exchange contracts, it is a, a legally binding contract. And if they refuse to get out of the house for any reason, um, we will serve them with a notice to complete. And for every day they don't complete on the purchase, there'll be interest that's payable. Once that notice to complete is served, it will give the seller 10 working days to complete. So they would need to complete within those 10 days. And as Emma said, the interest will be payable each day they fail to complete in accordance with the rate that is agreed on the contract, which is usually the Law Society's interest rate, which is 4% above Barclays Bank. If they then still fail to complete on the 10th day, um, we would then be able to terminate the contract as if it never happened and you would get the refund of your deposit. Um, it may be possible to make any claims for anything you may have lost, for, for example, any removal costs, etc. This would be dealt with by way of dispute after the notice period has expired. The seller will contact um, the estate agent as they are the ones that have instructed the estate agents to deal with the sale of the property. One thing we will always strongly recommend is that you do not go and try and get the keys before we have told you that the property has completed, otherwise you may be told to leave. We also get instances where some clients may just take it upon themselves to turn up outside the property ready to move in. Um, obviously, everyone's keen to get into the property, but again, we recommend that you don't do this um, simply because um, legal completion may not have yet taken place. Um, so you could have a long wait sitting on the drive with your boxes, which is not ideal, especially if it's raining. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> um, in a rare instance that an estate agent may not have been used, uh, what will happen then in terms of getting the keys to the property? Where there's not an agent, um, we tend to find that usually either the keys will go to the solicitors and you'll need to then pick them up from our either the seller solicitor's offices or they'll arrange to get them to us. But more often than not, um, sometimes the seller and the buyer will agree between themselves to hand over the keys, usually at the property, and they'll ensure that the handover doesn't happen until the solicitor gives the call to say, yep, the money's arrived, it's okay to hand over the keys. So once completion's taken place, you might think, oh, that's it, it's all done, Dustin, nothing else needs to be done. Um, for you as the client, that may be the case, um, as you're happily living in your new home. But unfortunately for us as your instructed solicitor, there's still a few more steps we have to take. We will now attend to registration. So earlier I mentioned the transfer deed. So that's the document that after completion will then send off to land registry with an application to register the property in your name and also register any mortgage you may have against the property also. 
In terms of the registration, it's basically an application that we complete online with the land registry and only a solicitor can complete such applications. There is a registration fee which is payable upon registration but we will have already accounted to you for this fee. In terms of registration, if the property is registered, it will be done online. And most of the properties now tend to be registered at Land Registry due to the Compulsory Registration Act. In terms of timescales for registration, this can be quite lengthy at the moment. Land Registry do seem to have large delays with registration. We are tending to find that with their new online service, applications are coming back a lot quicker at the moment, generally speaking within a few weeks if there's no issues. However, the older applications are taking a lot longer. It's not unusual for them to be taking sort of five to six months for a registered property. Um, So don't panic if you don't hear from us. It's simply a case that we're waiting on the land registry. In terms of the property, it may be that it's an unregistered property, um, so the process and timings can be a lot different. For example, if you bought a new build, uh, whilst the land your property will be built on will be registered, your specific plot won't be. Um, So again, we still have to apply to the land registry for your plot to be registered with its own title number. These are taking an extraordinary amount of time at the moment and we are actually tending to find when the land registry advise of the timescales you are looking in excess of a year. Likewise, even if you're an older property that you've purchased before the rules came in in 1998, uh, again, those properties, once they're registered, are again taking over a year uh, to be registered just because, again, of the backlog and it takes someone to sit and go through the title a bit more than if it's already registered. Will my lender be concerned at the length of time it's taking to register the property or attend to the registration into my name and register their interest or what's the position? Am I protected? The lender will inevitably contact us to ask why it's not been registered as yet but we do inform them each time that the registration has been submitted to the land registry and we're just waiting to hear back. Also as well in terms of your lender being concerned about your interest in the property being protected we do at the point of exchange what is called a search of home or a search of part in terms of a new build and basically what this does is it protects your interest in the property and means that nothing else can be added to the register of the property without us being notified and in addition to that the search also will give you priority so the application that we've put in will take priority over any other applications that will follow um, so it will protect both the lender and you as the buyer um, these searches do expire after so long but we do ensure that we regularly renew these um, just to make sure you're protected at all times especially with the delays with land registry at the moment um, so it might be that you'll have a small fee after for these additional searches but it is relatively minor £3.60 each time. Very small in the grand scheme of the costs of buying a house. (laughs) So when the registration is eventually done, if it does take um, in excess of a year, as previously mentioned, we will always write out to you to let you know that the property has been registered and we will supply you with a copy of the register proving the same. And if we have any deeds, if the property was unregistered, we'd also send these to you for your safekeeping. Um, It is important you keep these deeds safe. Whilst the property will have been registered and Land Registry will have included all of the important parts on the registered title, um, it's not unusual for them to have made an error. They are only human at the end of the day. Um, And if you've got the original deeds, sometimes these can be really important because we can then submit to Land Registry a full copy 
so it basically updates the title um, so definitely keep these in a safe place um, we can keep these for you if you want us to we can put them into our to our deed storage um, most lenders now don't want us to send the deeds to them just because of the unnecessary storage but this is something we can do if you're worried about losing them and that's a whistle stop tour of purchasing your property hope that was helpful Thanks to Cassie and Emma for lending their expertise. Yet more proof that lawyers don't bite. If you need legal help from either of them, please get in touch through lblaw.co.uk. That's lblaw.co.uk. If you have a particular legal issue you'd like me to put to our specialist for an upcoming episode, please let me know by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. If you found the conversations helpful, please remember to follow, review and share the episodes. And don't forget to go back and check out some of the shows from the other seasons. Speak to you soon. That was the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.